This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, over the weekend, we had one of the best nationally televised games of the year between your Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. And I say that despite the fact that Jason Tatum went absolutely nuts. I'm sure he brought a huge smile to your face, overcoming a sensational performance by Steph Curry um, as well, who has just been red hot here in April. And that's where I want to start because Steph Curry is averaging almost 40 points per game in April. He's shooting almost 50% on threes in April. He's got four 40 point games in his last seven appearances, including a season high 53 points against the Denver Nuggets. It has been Steph Curry on a different level. And Brandon in Los Angeles, who's a big Steph Curry defender, wants to take a moment, Michael, to take a little victory lap and to maybe push back on some things that you've said recently. Are you okay with that? I'm, let's go. Bring oh, you're, you're saying bring it on. Wartime. Here we go. Brandon <laughs> says, do you guys both remember just two weeks ago when the basketball world had declared the Golden State Warriors dead? Not only that, but the whole Steph Curry thing was coming to an end because everyone was saying that Curry might not be able to get the Warriors into the play-in. That was the consensus, and it was agreed that the Warriors' window was officially closed and that a healthy Clay Thompson didn't put the Warriors back into contender status. Now what? Luckily, when everyone was throwing dirt on Golden State Warriors' graves and asking if Curry was at the end of his prime, Curry got healthy and has been on a historic tear. So where would you rank Curry right now as far as best players on the planet? And he's taking issue not only with you, Michael, but, quote, 
95% of the media, ex-players, fans, and insiders who he believes were too quick to pounce on Golden State's struggles. What say you, Michael, on behalf of all those people? Well, I think I've been a pretty staunch Steph supporter over the years, especially since he was the first unanimous MVP in NBA history. And, like, look, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I expected him to go on this type of tear and just completely shred defenses in a way that even he never has before. But it's not totally surprising. Like, I'm Always looming as a possibility, isn't it? It, it always is, of course. That's why I picked the Warriors as part of the reason why I picked the Warriors as my league pass team before the, the number, my number one league pass team before the season began. Like I wanted to see what Steph would look like in a situation where the Warriors needed him to be a type A option, and he has been. It's been incredible. That game on uh, Saturday night was the most entertaining basketball game I've seen in a year, and... Yeah, the fact that they lost kind of supports the argument that um, like people could be maybe doubting the Golden State Warriors more so than Steph Curry the individual. But like he's he's just been out of this world, man. Just been absolutely incredible. Well, I think that result it does kind of confirm something that you were making making the case for earlier this season, which is hey, if you have a plus plus Steph Curry, I mean his numbers right now are basically identical to his unanimous MVP season. You have Steve Kerr absolutely raving about uh, Curry, both physically and mentally, in terms of where he's at this stage in his career. We haven't really seen a better version of Steph than this, you know, in terms of what he's been doing the last month or so. If that version isn't enough to sort of, you know, put you on a 70 win pace or, you know, a 67 win pace, what happens when he's not playing quite that well or he's not having that same level of success? Because, of course, there's going to be streaks you know, fits and starts when a lot of your game is relying upon three-point shooting. I mean, look, even Steph Curry himself is not going to average 10 threes for an entire season. That's just not how it works, right? And I think your point at the start of the season was, well, even if Steph's an A+, what else do they necessarily have around him, and where is this going? And so, you know, put the loss to Boston aside, because I think they've won four of their last five. They've made some, um, you know, ground-up in the Western Conference standings, they're probably almost certainly, I would say, going to land in that play-in mix. Um, Has this recent push, and it's come without James Wiseman, of course, their rookie who was really struggling as a fit next to Curry and and looked kind of lost on offense and defense. Did that, uh, has this recent push changed your perception of Curry, though, compared to his peers? Where would you rank him as one of the best players on the planet uh, to answer Brandon's question? And has that changed at all since the start of the year? Because for me, it really hasn't. I think I had Curry fifth on my top 100, and I would still have him kind of in that same mix. I mean, ultimately, like, you know, if Golden State was the four seed, we would be talking about Curry as an MVP candidate. It, you know, he would be right there in the mix for all the kinds of typical discussions that he has been in the past. But I do think the the lack of talent around him and the impact of you know Wiseman in developing him has maybe overshadowed Curry's individual ability a little bit. So I think Brandon's onto something there. Uh, but I'm not completely convinced that uh, this has you know this last month has changed the Steph Curry story forever, as Brandon seems to want to indicate. <laughs> no, I mean I think that if you're like you or I and you. Uh, were Steph believers I mean that term is so stupid anyway because I mean he had absolutely nothing more to prove coming into this season but 
if you were a Steph believer, like, I don't know how much this has altered what you said, your perception of what Steph is able to do, his impact on the game, um, just how unstoppable he can be on a night-to-night basis. And so if I'm, you know, I think, like, injuries this season have for sure tampered with the ability to rank players. It's made it very difficult. Um like I think about how before the season began, you and I were kind of ranking players by we, you know, we would stack two guys beside one another, and I think we had Steph go up against Anthony Davis in one debate, which is totally reasonable, and we can't really do that right now because Anthony Davis has had a really down year, partly due to injury. Um, but if I'm just looking at what Steph has done over the last fifteen games ish, the last month extended. How could I possibly say any other player alive is better than him? Like, what's the argument for anybody else? It's it just it doesn't exist. Right. So he's number one in April for you. There's no question about that. He is for me as well. And I think that's always been his ceiling. And this is a little bit of a uh, elastic conversation when you're saying who are the best players in the world, especially with guys coming in and out. His ceiling has been you know number one. But I think when you're looking at the total body of work. When you're flirting around 500, kind of regardless of who your teammates are, it's hard to say, you know, at that stage that you're absolutely number one for the entire season. And I think when I'm looking ahead to conversations like the MVP vote, I want to see more progress in the standings from Golden State before I put Steph into that conversation. Now, you know, Damian Lillard, I would say he's dealt with an awful lot of adversity in Portland. He's been so huge for them in late game situations, delivering clutch win after clutch win after clutch win. I think as of right now, I would have Lillard over Curry on my MVP ballot, right? That could certainly change if Curry continues to average 40 points and, you know, gets Golden State up into like the seven seed here over the next three weeks before the playoffs, right? So I think this is a little bit unresolved, but I do think Curry's in generally the right place. And that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, potentially Dame versus Curry versus Harden versus whoever in the all-NBA guard competition. Now, the last time we brought this up, Michael, you and I, well, really just I was screaming at you for even mentioning Zach Levine as a possible all-NBA selection. (laughs) But how do we pick between these guards this year, Michael? And who are you circling for all-NBA first team? Does Curry make it? Uh, Because in a vacuum, he's, you know, just a, a cut above a player like Lillard. Do you reward Lillard for his team success and his impact on that team's success? Do you just discount Harden because you're still mad at him for the Houston exit? I mean, how are you kind of picking between these guys or whichever other, other candidates you're weighing? Yeah, I mean, this was a really tough exercise to kind of go through. Um, before we begin, Luca is a guard. That is, we are, that's what we are settling on forever, right? I'm calling him a guard, yes. Okay, even though he'll play in lineups with Brunson and uh, THJ and whatever. It's not a big deal. I I just, it's tough with Luca in the conversation. Michael, I think Ernst Young handles the NBA's like official balloting procedure, you know, to keep it all on the up and up. I think they're the accounting firm that handles that. I Mm -hmm. don't work for Ernst Young. So like, you're going to have to take that question, that whole line of questioning, a completely different direction and, and, you know, maybe ask somebody who cares. I'm calling Luca a guard. Okay. So Luca is then first team, right? Oh, really? You think that that is controversial? I think it's up for debate. Okay. Um, I watch a lot of the Mavericks. 
I, I watch a lot of Mavericks games. I I don't think it's up for, <laughs> up for debate or up for controversy. Like he's I don't know. He's like nearing perfection on offense now that he's got the three point shot down pretty good. Um, and I think he leads the league in assist rate, or he's up there in assist rate. Uh, he's yeah, he's just absolutely a, a total monster. I don't know how you defend him. Well, um, on this so subject, I, just real quick, one sentence answer: Who had the better shot, Lucas push shot game winning three pointer, or Steph Curry's left handed double clutch three pointer against Boston? Curry, no doubt about it. <laughs> really close. Oh, I mean, like if I'm playing horse. Which shot do I think I can hit with my life on the line? It's Lucas. I have literally no chance. I am a dead person if I am trying what Steph did over Grant Williams. Yeah, that I was mean, incredible. That shot was so tough by Steph, he probably only makes it seven out of ten times in an empty gym. <laughs> anyway, back to your arguments in favor of Luca. Okay, so I, I like Luca. Um, he's first team for me. I... Let me ask you, if Golden State could catch Dallas in the standings, unlikely, I think they're two and a half mm-hmm. games back right now, would that flip your decision? Or are you going to have Luka and Steph as your first team? So I don't I don't really factor team performance that much. Like if you are on a team that is 6 and 73 or something, then we have a problem and I don't think you're, you, no matter what your statistics are, I don't think you're you're going to make all NBA, but it's it's less of a factor here for me, um, which kind of goes in line with how I pick all star teams too. But yeah, that explains uh, a lot. You, yeah, you just don't care you. about the team results. <laughs> so does that mean Harden's not getting any bonus points from you for leading the the Brooklyn Nets to the top of the standings like he did for you know a solid two and a half months there? He was nearing his way back into the conversation, and then I don't know if you watched uh, their game against the Miami Heat yesterday, but he had on a sweater that was very festive in a way that almost offended me. I did not like his his attire, so he he got bumped back down. Oh, um, Michael, come out of on. the conversation for that jacket. Yeah, uh, this is the G, um, the GQ roots in you showing through. <laughs> um, so just to say, I would have Harden first team as actually my first guard selection because I do value winning an awful lot. And consistency factor. I know he's not the flavor of the month right now. Frankly, not really the flavor of the year either. You know, I'm not sure people are really rallying around him, but I will personally Mm. and say he's my first all NBA first team guard selection. So I was, I, I, you know, basketball reference lets you take all these different players and, and match their statistics up against each other. And so I filtered in Steph, Luca, Dame, and Harden, and then also I, I, I you're going to get upset, um, but I, I also included Brad Beal. No, you didn't. I, you I didn't. You I didn't do that. <laughs> We're just going to skip over that part. All right. So, what did Basketball Reference tell you when you did this? Well, Harden, statistically, if you just look at like the total numbers, if you look at some of the advanced numbers, he just isn't quite on par with Steph. I mean, Steph is. Steph leads all those candidates in, in PER, true shooting, win shares per 48, VORP, just all like the advanced catch-alls. Curry is just like there. And I have, I have a stat for you that I think you'll absolutely love. Um, the gap between Curry, who leads all players in offensive real plus minus, the gap between Curry and the runner-up, who happens to be Dame right now, is the same difference between Dame 
and the 36th ranked Ty Jerome. Think about that. That's one of the most astonishing statistics you'll ever hear. No, it's pretty wild. I mean, he has been way out in front for a while on that stat. You know, the RPM guys do tend to, like, tinker with their formula every couple years. I do wonder if Curry broke it, and, like, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board (laughs) and be like, all right, there's something crazy going on here. So on that basis alone, are you taking Luka and Steph? Is that your is that your final answer? I have Steph and Luka penciled in as my first team right now, yes. Um, and that was tough because you know I love Dame. And I think what Dame has done, I mean, maybe it's like a little bit of recency bias and Dame has been relatively struggling um, recently. And uh, man, it's tough because like you go back and you think about the season he had and, and carrying the Portland Trailblazers when CJ was out and when Nurkic was out having one of the better clutch seasons in memory. He was absolutely incredible. Um, so it, it, it stings to put Dame where I've put him, uh, which is second team. I have him on second team with Harden. Um, but I don't know, like Steph, what he's doing now is just something that you have to like honor. It's so unprecedented, even for him. I didn't think he would ever be better than he was when he won when he was unanimous MVP in 2016 and the extended stretch that we've seen now is better than that and it's with like inferior teammates around him which only makes it more impressive and he's older I I, man he was like leaving me speechless on Saturday night no I hear you for sure I do that sounds to me a lot like recency bias to be honest Um, but (laughs) look I'll have Dame right now but I think there's a good chance he loses that spot especially if Steph keeps this thing going um, I would have Harden and Dame first team, Luca and Steph second team. So we basically, we just flipped. But I think that four-way race is really, really close. And it kind of just comes down to a matter of taste. And like you're saying, a matter of values. Do you care more about the statistical production or the team performance? And for me, I try to balance it both. And so I give a little bit more weight uh, to the team production. And mostly I try to imagine what the Blazers would look like without Lillard. And I feel like that they might even be as bad or worse than the Warriors without Steph, you know? And I understand that's kind of what the the RPM number tries to uh, tries to pull together. But, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, Canner and Mello out there, you know, trying to, like, pick up the slack for Dave, I mean, that's just not going to work. It's going to get really, really ugly really fast. And they've had so many injuries that, you know, I think that there's actually been better lineup stability in Golden State than in Portland, and, and that's another thing that I would probably put in uh, Dame's favor as well. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, on this kind of a competition of, you know, where are we stacking up, you know, these these different star-level players, we got an awesome question that came in from Cantor in Amsterdam, and I just want to hop right to it. And he writes... If you could clone players, what would the ideal starting five look like and what star talent could still only be used sparingly? For example, five LeBrons would be pretty unbeatable or five KDs, but five Stephs would be too small and weak defensively, even though they'd shoot the ball so well. Five Giannis's wouldn't have enough outside shooting and five Jokic's would be too slow. And then there are the spacing issues, clones who might get in their own way, like Giannis, Zion, etc. So would you go for two-way players like Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Chris Middleton, or would you still need some glue guys? And now he's saying, in my Clone Wars plan, you can clone as many of these players as you want to your liking. So for example, you could clone Steph twice and then fill out a rotation around him with Tatum, Giannis, and Jokic. Or you could take two Hardens and two Clays plus a Gobert. Uh, you can kind of mix and match these clones however you want, Michael. Now, I've I've heard this conversation before, but not quite with such specificity. The last time I had this conversation, I concluded that I think five KDs would beat five of anybody else. Would you agree with that or no? I think I, I will disagree with that, but five KDs is one of the three best teams I think I could create. So my argument for the five KDs basically boiled down to he's very complete. He's a good enough passer. He's an incredible scorer. He's got the length uh, defensively. If you had to get doubled by two KDs or three KDs on the block, you're probably able to handle any big guy down there. And there's enough perimeter versatility where you could kind of follow the guards around on the perimeter as well. So if you could only have one player clone five times, I feel like he's got the best argument with LeBron I just worry so much of his value is on the ball where are you just kind of wasting some of LeBron's offensive abilities when he's standing and watching the other LeBron's play um and defensively you know I would still probably take KD over LeBron in this kind of a clone scenario I mean Anthony Davis is another intriguing pick but I just think the ball handling and passing stuff probably holds him back um, and, you know, Kawhi would probably be in the mix, but I don't think he's got quite enough length to deal with the interior defense. Anybody else you want to throw into the mix when we're talking about just a pure five-man cloning conversation? So, I, I, get, I mean, you, you've named basically all the guys who are at the top of the list for me, and what you said was really interesting about LeBron. 
just because I agree that he's so great on ball. But picturing five LeBrons, like LeBron's greatest skill is his brain. So just like thinking about how one of them is going to like cut baseline while two others set like a flare screen for the fifth guy. And meanwhile, the, the LeBron who has the ball is like posted up on the block and like seeing everything. I, I think that five LeBrons is still absolutely unimpeachably the best and can't be beat. But Even against argu- five KDs, really. Your your argument for KD is interesting just because I'm I'm picturing a floor where he's got like his arm spread like all the KDs are just their arms are extended as 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 long as they can be just showing off the wingspan factor. That is pretty difficult, I, I mean, think. Michael, imagine a KD KD pick and roll with two KDs in the corners. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's tough to guard. I, I would say if that team was going up against the five LeBron team, like could KD single coverage Le- one LeBron posting up, and then what breakdowns does that have defense? Like I don't know. I think I think I would put my money on LeBron, but it would be close. I, I, yeah, it's it's really close. I mean, I think you dare LeBron to shoot threes, and you know LeBron wouldn't be able to dare KD to shoot threes, right? So that would be one possible advantage. It would be incredible. It's. I would love to see this played out in NBA 2K. If we have any 2K people who know how to do this kind of thing, please make this simulation five uh, KDs versus five LeBrons and tell us what the results are. Yeah, or any scientists who are listening, if you want to <laughs> yeah. actually clone real people, that would be cooler. I'd love to see that. No, Michael, we're in a pandemic. The scientists have their hands full. Let's let them <laughs> focus true. on the important stuff. Um, so let's take up his question, though, because it's a little bit more nuanced in basketball and nitty-gritty and X's and O's than just the classic five-player clone. So if you could have any combination of clones within a five-man lineup, how would you do this? What's your strategy? And uh, you know, give me your best team right now. (laughs) Well, strategically, it doesn't really, it didn't really take a lot of thought for me. Like the team that I put together that is, I think just man, like unbeatable, but I have a little bit of bias in here and you're going to totally debunk what I'm about to say about it. Um, Why do I feel like it's last year's Celtics starting lineup? (laughs) So close to the championship. (laughs) Um, It's not, although it has one player from that team. Um, So I'll just just read it to you. Uh, I have three Kawhi Leonard's. Wow. Um, I love everyone who listens to this podcast knows I love Kawhi. And I, I mean, the five LeBron thing. Do you think Kawhi will talk to Kawhi when he has to watch him just pound the dribble for 15 seconds for the mid range turnaround? You know, is there going to be any tension there? You know, will they look at this in the lineup? There is. There 100% is. They're going to talk true to each other. There's going to be great communication because they all understand what it's like to be Kawhi. They get the Kawhi persona. Um, It'll basically be telepathic communication, I would would assume. I would hate Um, to dribble the ball up the court against a double-team trap from Kawhi's, like two Kawhi's. That would be really difficult. No, you're you're absolutely right with the... Uh, their ability to trap, and then you can also switch um, in multiple situations. But offensively, 
Like, you know, I dabbled with just having five Kawhis because I think five Kawhis is, man, try saying that five times fast. I think it's better than um, five KDs by a hair. Uh, I, I I just think that Kawhi is such a complete basketball player. I just don't know. Maybe, like, the playmaking is a little bit of an issue there. And he has complained recently this season about the need for a true, pl- uh, true point guard on his team. Someone who can handle ball handling responsibilities a little bit more because he doesn't want to. So that would be a little tricky, I think. But just like his ability to score at all three levels, he's attacking the basket more. He's one of the best rebounders at his size. He's got the length. Um, I don't really see any other weaknesses there. And I think it would be just really tough to score on that team for obvious reasons. But that's not the final team that I have. Um only three Kawhis, and then I, I have one Anthony Davis. Okay. Be, because Anthony Davis is, you know, he's Anthony Davis. Like, it's just, like, if we need the rim protection, if we need a little bit more length, um, we need uh, run a pick and roll with someone who's not Kawhi, <laughs> then let's get the best, most acrobatic pick and roll partner there. That would be great. Um, and then my uh, my fifth player... I was thinking of trying to get someone who's really elite on the defensive end who can also handle the ball and appease the Kawhi need for that point guard. And I came up with Marcus Smart. And Oh, Michael. Marcus Smart, three Kawhi Leonards, an AD. No one is beating that team. I'm sorry. It's unbeatable. You're not doing it. My team is about to destroy your team. It's not even going to be close. Are you ready for this? Are you going to cheat? Well, you're probably going to cheat and have all of players who are headed to the Hall of Fame. And I just want all of our listeners to know that I picked Marcus Smart. So give me credit there, please. I'm following the rules as laid out by our listener, Cantor, in Amsterdam. <laughs> I'm breaking none of them. There's no cheating involved. I resent that implication. I also have Anthony Davis. I think the versatility aspect and two-way play of this uh, exercise is the most important. So to answer Cantor's question, I think that's where you start. I think Anthony Davis can guard more types of opposing players than any other player in the league, while also not sacrificing really anything from a a spacing standpoint on offense. And he's an awesome scoring threat. You can never leave. And he can finish in pick and roll situations, super high level. So I want Anthony Davis as my back line. There's no doubt in my mind that LeBron's a better offense initiator than Kawhi Leonard, and it's not close. And he's, he's thinking at a higher level. I wouldn't want two LeBrons because I don't want to have to, you know, have one of those guys stuck off the ball. So I'm taking one LeBron and one Anthony Davis. Now, uh, because you've just handicapped your own team by adding a player like Marcus Smart, I'm bringing in Steph Curry for maximum spacing. Now, his life is not going to be as fun as it is right now in Golden State because I'm keeping him off the ball, but I'm letting him just wreak havoc with your team, and you're going to have to chase him, and Kawhi is going to have to get tired. His knee's going to get sore, you know, following Steph Curry around the court. I'm completing my five-man rotation with two Kevin Durants, okay? So I've got length (laughs) and versatility across the front line i can guard everybody right i've got the best lead playmaker in the game i've got by far the best shooter of all time 
And KD, it's going to be great because he doesn't need to dominate the ball. He's great off the ball. So LeBron can just run dream team stuff with KD and Steph off the ball all day long. And if they get bored of that, it's pick and roll with Anthony Davis. And good luck trying to handle that with, uh, you know, KD spotting up on the weak side. It's over for you. Defensively, our only weak link, I I think, would be Curry, but he's an underrated defender. He's fine. Everybody else is championship level on the defensive end and super versatile, can handle multiple positions. We've got size and length advantages against Kawhi. He's going to look tiny out there compared to my front line. Good luck, Michael. When you were growing up playing video games with friends, would you just like put in cheat codes before they got to your house Come and on. then laugh I'm... in their face when you'd beat them or like did you did you take pleasure in those experiences you're trying to say i'm playing this one on easy level <laughs> i just answered his question so did you you said you had three different teams you've told us one was five Kawhis, one was this one what was your third team five davis bertans oh obviously the, the zero trick <laughs> pony himself um d- did you have another team um I, in all honesty, those are the ones that I was leaning on. Um, I was trying to get really creative with it. And to be honest, when I go to, like, obviously, like, this this exercise has been, you know, on my mind before I read this email, just in life. And my go-to Cloning has been on your mind? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, my, My number one clone team of all time that I think would be potentially even better. I don't know if it would be better than five LeBrons, but five Scottie Pippins has always been like, I just give me that team. And unfortunately he does not qualify for this list, this exercise, but, uh, but that would be great. And I just got to say Steph on your team, like, no, I'm sorry, but Marcus Smart's putting him in the basket on post-ups, just like he did on Saturday night. And we're not really that worried about it. Um, Our front line has like 72 feet of wingspan on the help defense, okay? Marcus Smart's never getting the ball if your team knows what it's doing. I have Anthony Davis on my team, too. They're (laughs) neutralizing each other. (laughs) Um, Was there anybody who was a really tough cut for you? I think some of the toughest cuts for me were like Jokic. I consider just bringing him in, and then like now I'm getting the – the mutual benefit of both LeBron and Jokic as playmakers, does that just make it completely unstoppable? I thought about him. Guys like Harden and Luka, I thought were a little bit tougher to fit here, uh, in part because, you know, their defensive reputation, but also because maybe they weren't quite as multi-positional or, you know, needing the ball overlapped a little bit with LeBron. Any other, like, structural questions like that that came to your mind when you were trying to construct these rosters? Because it was a fascinating question from him. You know, he was mentioning some of the two-way guys like Drew Holiday or Jalen Brown, Chris Middleton. I think what I took away from this exercise is like the very, very, very best players, especially wings, are all two-way guys, right? So you don't need to like find that role player because LeBron, KD, Kawhi, you know, you could even throw Paul George into that mix. I mean, all those guys can do it both ways, right? Yeah, I was about to bring up Paul George. He definitely qualifies. I mean, when I was looking at this, it was, yeah, like I need I need size, I need wingspan, I need defensive intelligence, um and I need shooting. I need I need all of this in one player is kind of what I was thinking. So like a two-way impact piece. And you know, I thought I thought about Tatum, of course. I thought about Jalen. I don't I just 
I didn't I don't think either of them is there for this type of discussion, to be honest with you, just because like five Tatums, you know, come on. Like I was just imagining like the 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 eighteen foot turnarounds and the twelve foot fadeaways and like four other Tatums looking yeah, I was gonna on say, like why don't I haven't got the ball. Yeah, five Tatums is gonna get you about eight assists per game. Yeah, so that that would not work for me. Um, I thought I thought long and hard about Zion just being like if I had five Zions then or like three multiple Zions like I'm just bullying the offensive glass I'm gonna give up a bajillion points and I don't really care because no one can stop me Wait, but then you, again do you remember that ice hockey game for Nintendo where you could select between three players a skinny guy a medium-sized guy and a fat guy and you could have as many combinations of those guys as you wanted and so you could just roll out the super slow, ultra fat guy and just absolutely pulverize, like have every one of your players like that and then just pulverize the competition. But you have to kind of play in slow mode. You have a lot of turnovers because they'd always be getting the puck stolen. That would be the five Zion experience. You think you think the Zion experience would be slow? Like I could see it being, I mean, we got Zion playing point guard out here. Like I could see it being very up and down. I think in the half court it would be maybe a little gross because like Zion trying to get around Zion um in the paint would be really difficult but uh and I don't know where the other Zions would be placed on the court because he doesn't shoot um which was another reason yeah. why I didn't have See that's Bam the thing. Bio I, I actually Simmons think five Currys could beat five Zions solely off that so that's a question right there. I love that. Um, man, first of all, five curries, yeah, that's kind of the best offense possible, maybe. Like, if one if one curry just was committed to setting really great ball screens, then we would have something on our hands. But, uh, but yeah, no, um, this whole thing is just absolutely breaking my brain. It's making my face melt. Um, well, the, but, thing, the thing I was going to bring up with Zion is if uh-huh. you did the clone pick and roll duo, right? So let's just like simplify it. You're only going to take the same player but clone him. And so it's like a Zion-Zion pick and roll or a KD-KD pick and roll or a Harden-Harden pick and roll. And you could even throw in like pick and pops here as well, right? Zion-Zion pick and rolls would be really hard to stop, right? Because usually it's taking your best defensive player to stick with Zion as the ball handler to prevent him from dunking on you or getting the layup going to the glass or whatever. But if you had another just monster barreling down the paint, able to kind of capitalize on whoever the weak side is, or you could force switches onto small guards, and then the second Zion is just like, you know, sealing him off in the paint, that's pretty tough to stop. If you had two Zions and three shooters you might be in the mix for like some pretty insane, like ultra high efficiency offenses. Like maybe if it's two Zions and Anthony Davis and two Curry's, like if you did something like that, you might be onto it. That that could be a pretty high ceiling team. They should start. Some teams got to pay you big money for coming up with ideas like that. That is uh no one's ever thought of that before. I, I, I think that that would really go a long way in the winning category. Um, but I, you know, picturing Zion, Two Zion, like one Zion with the ball driving to the rim, one Zion rolling, one Zion cutting baseline, one Zion screening for said other Zion cutting baseline, and then the other Zion like cherry picking at midcourt or something. <laughs> like, I, I think that's just a lot of fun, yeah. 
I hear you. That would be a wild, wild visual experience. I think it's also newsworthy or, or noteworthy that we didn't really bring up Giannis a lot in this conversation. What do you attribute that to? Is it just the spacing stuff? Because he's very versatile defensively. I think if you could surround him with four shooters, you could probably get in, him into some awesome teams. If you had Giannis and Anthony Davis as your two defensive bigs, you're probably getting to some pretty interesting stuff. I mean, you could go LeBron two KDs, Giannis and AD. That's a pretty monster team as well. So maybe we gave him a little bit of short shrift, but I do think in this exercise, the shooting part, you know, pretty much took precedent, didn't it? If you can't, I mean, yeah, if you can't shoot, you're in trouble. So five Giannis's would be like, look, I think that that team makes the playoffs (laughs) probably. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But no, like I'm pretty sure they're going to beat your bulls in the standings. (laughs) <laughs> probably um but like i do have a little bit of concern on, on like how defenses would guard that like you could just really pack the paint and i don't know what where the driving lanes are i don't know um w- how upset certain Giannis's would get at the Giannis who like walked into the wide open uh straightaway three that didn't even touch the rim like that would it could get ugly very quick yeah they they would have to change the green light on his three-point shot in this configuration there's no question about it um i want to hear the open floor globe suggestions for these lineups i know your guys wheels are turning so let us know open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com design your team to beat michael's semi-super team and to beat my super team. I'd love to hear your groups. All right, Michael, you mentioned you thought five Giannis's could make the playoffs. Let's discuss the teams that are making the playoffs uh, or are on track to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference right now because we've played matchmaker quite a bit in the West in terms of you know which teams want to play which other teams, especially with the, the news about Jamal Murray's injury and the Lakers sliding a little bit. And we've kind of gone through some of the playing uh, machinations over there. In the Eastern Conference, it's getting pretty interesting because you do have Philadelphia you know, on the record saying, look, we're gunning for that one seed. We want that one seed. And with that comes a major advantage of avoiding Brooklyn or Milwaukee until the conference finals. Uh, Brooklyn has just been cycling its rotations and Katie just got injured again. So I imagine they're not going to be gunning for it. Milwaukee, I'm just not quite sure if they're good enough to get there, um, at least with their current group. And they tend to take the rest stuff pretty seriously, you know, down the stretch as well. So, you know, they may not be um, in that mix. That sets up the rest of the standings as this giant jumble, basically from four to about 12 right now, because you've got Toronto, Chicago, Washington, all kind of creeping into the mix there, trying to uh, compete for the playing round. And so I wanted to start with the the favorites. You know, if you're Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston, and you're looking down the bracket. Are there teams that you definitely want to play over others? Like, who's the weakest, uh, you know, competition in this mix? Who are you circling and saying, oh, you know, if we could manipulate the matchup, we'd love to get them? Is there a team in that mix for you? Um, well, first of all, I want to thank you for including Boston in this conversation. That was very big of you. Um, so appreciate that. No, I did it begrudgingly, but look, they earned it. Okay. They, they deserve some real credit. They're playing a lot better these last couple of weeks. It starts with Tatum. He finally listened to my motivational speeches on these podcasts. He's been stepping up and I absolutely love to see it. Um, and you know, it's, this is what we wanted to see and it's finally happening. The bar's pretty low there. I mean, they still haven't passed the Atlanta Hawks as of today. So let's, 
let's not uh, have a, a celebration lap quite yet, Michael. But I do think when you're saying, okay, which of these teams should be viewed as favorites? You know, Atlanta's new to the party, so I'm going to give Boston that credit there. Thank you. Um, so the question is, which teams are the top of the Eastern Conference kind of looking down and being like, I want to play those teams? And and frankly, like, it's it's kind of tough to... I mean, there's a lot of bad teams, right? Or like, not not great teams. Like, I think the Bulls, if they were to make it, I don't think that any teams at the top would sweat them necessarily, even though you've got two all-stars on that team, you've got veterans on that team. I, I just, the inconsistency um, and the lack of experience in the playoffs, I, I don't think that that would be very competitive, to be yeah, honest, this th- year. This two all-stars thing with the Bulls, it reminds me of when Minnesota traded for two number one picks, you know, Wiggins and Anthony Bennett. I mean, come on, you know, it's like technically true, but come on. It's like the old Washington Wizards big three with Anton Jameson and... Who was, I don't even remember who else. It was like Karam Butler and Gilbert Arenas, and it was just like, come on, guys, what are we doing? I thought you were going uh, towards John Wall, Bradley Beal, and Otto Porter. Another not quite so big. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but like in a playoff setting, I don't know. Like I, this does. I don't. I don't mean to get people all riled up, but the Knicks just don't scare me. Ooh, at all. wow. No, and I, you know, I have respect for them. Um, I respect for their coaching. I respect for just their buy-in and how they've embraced the defensive end. And I'll tell you real quick, before the season began, I was freelancing for 538, and I had a pitch about how uh, R.J. Barrett's closeouts were the worst like in the NBA by far statistically. And there was a lot of data to support it. He was horrendous. And I was going to write that story to kind of preview how his work on the defensive end was such a, a critical uh, variable for his own trajectory going forward. And I'm really glad that I never wrote that piece because he's just been a completely different player on the defensive end and on closeouts this season. And his rotations are so crisp. He's complete, He just looks like a completely different basketball player. Um in that regard, as a help defender, it's it's amazing. Um, and I know that's just like one small part of their team, but it's just it kind of speaks to uh, their like total defensive commitment under under Tibbs. No, I mean, it's been um, crazy. Absolutely night and day. I mean, I don't understand how he coached them up so quickly in so many different areas. It's pretty mind blowing. Uh, you know, Randall is probably not even like, you know, deserving of all that much credit on his defensive improvement, but he's improved so much offensively, he's probably going to win most improved player. And I really didn't see it coming. So I am shocked that you're saying they're the the weakest link. I mean, if, I think if I'm, if I'm one of the top three teams, I'm not afraid of them. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that any of the teams in that play in mix right now are probably looking weaker than the Knicks with the possible exception of Miami, right? Like, to me, Charlotte, Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, Washington, all those teams are dead in the water before the Knicks. No, I mean, you're right, and I'm going to get absolutely destroyed in my mentions for bringing up the Knicks first, even though I do not think that they are worse than a bunch of the teams that you just mentioned. Okay, so your argument is basically like paper tigers, right? Like, they're they're having a good story or in the regular season, but they're not going to be able to elevate to the next level in the playoffs. Right. What's their next gear? Like, what's their next gear is, like, my whole thing with that team. Um, well, so let me ask you this. If it's Atlanta, 
New York somehow in the four or five. And I'm just throwing this out there, you know, because it's so tight. If Boston, you know, guy tweaks an ankle, whatever, Celtics mm-hmm. slip a little bit. Who would you pick Atlanta versus New York? I would pick Atlanta, honestly. Um, I, you know, I, I'm infatuated with Atlanta. I love their roster. I love, you know, they just got John Collins back yesterday in like a pretty uh, impressive win over the Pacers. And the Pacers are another team that I think I was just wrong about them. Like I wrote this little thing right around the time that Karis LeVert made his debut. And Karis looks okay, I guess. But like there's just something wrong with that team. I, I can't really put my finger on it. They're not, I, I would not be that, that um, petrified of them if I were one of the top three or four teams um in the east but getting back to it like you know Atlanta they bring back John Collins they haven't really been like if they are healthy and Bogdan's playing as well as he's played this month and you have Trey Young um if Dre Hunter is back Clint Capella's been an absolute monster like those five guys that I just named have basically not played at all together this season which kind of speaks to you know I was just talking about that what's that next gear like the Hawks have that gear that lineup is another gear potentially um that's an incredible five-man unit and then you just have a lot of depth and you have a lot of shooting you have a lot of skill um I just I really like the Atlanta Hawks and they've played great basketball under Nate McMillan. So I I would take the Hawks, I think, over the Knicks. I mean, it's a fascinating clash of styles, right? Because New York's offense, a lot of times, if Randall just doesn't really have it going and kind of grind down and you wonder how many different people can they really go to in a postseason series. I'm not sure, you know, good defenses, if the Knicks were to draw Milwaukee or Philly, I don't think Randall is really scaring them that much, right? But with Atlanta, it's like, you know, they're going to want to play this fun, you know, high-powered scoring style. Who's going to win that matchup style? Can New York just choke them with their defense? And then does Atlanta, you know, the inexperience factor start to come up and bite the Hawks a little bit? I'd probably lean Atlanta too, because I think they just have more total quality players. And they've, they've been in a really nice groove here for the last, you know, month or so. But, you know, I wouldn't guarantee it. Um, that would be a fun series if we get it, but we're probably not going to get it because I think Boston's going to get that four seed. So uh, mm-hmm. of the really like weak teams here that I was describing, like if you're Philly and you're sitting at the number one seed, who do you circle and think, oh, I would love for them to come out of the play-in round, whether it's Charlotte, Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, Washington. I mean, I feel like Indiana, if they had everybody healthy simultaneously, is at least you know, probably the most competitive from that group. You know, they have a number of like all-star or fringy type players where I just wouldn't want to necessarily deal with them. I feel like Toronto's chemistry and stuff has been so rough this year that they're probably going to be a Cancun team. If they make it in, they're going to want to get out as quickly as possible. I mean, Washington might be a little bit more threatening. I mean, as crazy as it is to say that, just because the star guards have been playing better and there's like kind of a chaos, you know, factor to it where like, if somebody, you know, Beal just goes absolutely nuts, they can make your life a little bit more interesting. I think I would probably want Charlotte, um, you know, or Chicago more than some of those other teams. But Toronto might be the team that I would circle and say, like, that's my dream, you know, just because they're so dysfunctional, even if they're coming off of, you know, last year with the playoff experience, mm-hmm. needing to, you know, figure out Lowry. I mean, that's a challenge, but just sort of banking on them imploding. So Toronto is interesting for that specific matchup with the Sixers because Joel Embiid said on a recent podcast, uh, he was talking about, you know, the experience of getting double teamed 
And he specifically cited Toronto and how they are so aggressive with him and how he can't really do anything on the catch. Like, they just send bodies at him. And it's not like he won't be able to figure that out in a seven-game series or anything like that. But it it is an intriguing X factor for me, just how they play. Assuming everyone is healthy. Yeah, that's actually a good Assu- point. The, the junk defense stuff would be really annoying. Yeah. In, in like, it just makes you think and it makes you work harder. Maybe you just want to dunk on Biombo. You know? Like if you're Joel Embiid. Who do you think is going to actually get the final 10 seed when you're looking at Toronto, Chicago, Washington? Why do I feel like it's going to be Washington? No, it's so great that you said that because I don't think this is possible, but it's uh, – well, it's, it is possible. I don't think it's likely – um, what I want to see happen more than anything is I want the Nets to get uh, the number one seed, and then I want the Wizards to get the eight because I don't know if you saw. I'm sure you did because you're a hawk on social media, but Kevin Durant listed his five um, best teammates he's ever played with, and he did not have Russell Westbrook. Uh, on that list at first like he just completely blanked on him and something tells me that between now and that potential matchup that Russell Westbrook will be educated um, uh, on that clip that clip's existence he will watch it he will study it um, before he goes to bed Uh, it's the first thing he'll watch when he wakes up in the morning and like the Wizards have played the Nets pretty tough I don't think that they would necessarily be scared of I don't think they would win, but I don't think that they would be scared of the Nets in a way that some other teams might be. And I just would love to see Westbrook just completely unleashed playing like 44 minutes a game going at like hunting Kevin Durant on every possession. I think that would be just terrific. Yeah, I mean, it would also probably be self-defeating for Washington. You know, this could be like the best possible scenario for the Nets in that matchup is to just like, you know, snub Westbrook in a way where he just takes control of everything and it just blows up in his face. That seems like a pretty strong strategy, kind of what the Lakers did by not guarding him for half of their playoff series and watching him just make turnover after turnover to overcompensate and miss threes. Um, that would be a phenomenal first-round matchup. I'm glad that you mentioned it. I'm completely sold based on what you said there. Uh, Brooklyn versus Washington is kind of a dream. It would be so much better than Brooklyn, Chicago, um, or Brooklyn, Indiana. I mean, those are kind of forgettable, you know, in my opinion. So I love that one. Um, who don't you want to face if you're one of these top teams right now? Like, what's what's kind of the what's kind this of the is... landmine scenario, right? I mean, if you're Milwaukee, would you be you know worried that Boston drops to six and you catch them in a three six? Like, who's the team that you're kind of eyeing nervously? Well, I think if the Celtics, um, I don't think they'll drop to six, so I don't think that the, the, the Bucks or whoever would have to worry about them. Um, but if I'm one of the top three seeds, the team that I'm just petrified over is the Miami Heat, and it's not even really close. I think the Miami Heat are, like, it's it's really foolish to say that they are a contender, but when I look at that team, and I see people kind of overlooking them. I'm just like, are you overlooking Bam Adebayo? Because Bam Adebayo is a legitimate star. He showed that the other day when he hit the buzzer beater against the Nets. He's having one of the most overlooked seasons um, in the league. Did not make the All Star team, but he's just an absolute like. I don't. I don't have enough good things to say about him. And Jimmy Butler basically just like isn't. 
you know, understandably like locked into this season in a way that he I think he normally would be for a variety of reasons. We know what Jimmy Butler can do in the playoffs. When he has played in this regular season, this has been the best season of his career. So I'm going up against two legitimate stars. Like this isn't the Bulls with Levine and, and Vooch. Like these two guys carried the Miami Heat to the NBA Finals last year. Um uh, a six-game affair against the Lakers. Like, they are very legitimate. And, uh, like, man, like, I, I couldn't even imagine. I have a lot of reasons why. Like, they have the three-point shooting. They have um, – you talked about the junk defenses. Like, nobody really plays defense like Miami. Like, they zone a ton, which also the Hornets do. But they'll also switch a ton of ball screens with their five with Bam. And they don't really even need to help off three-point shooters behind him because he's got th- this, like, crazy closeout speed and, and foot quickness to stay with legitimate point guards out on the perimeter. So, like, I, I just wouldn't want any part of that. I just think that and- – and you're in a series with Eric Spolstra to boot, like – the Heat, like I, I could almost, I could definitely see the Heat beating the Sixers. I could see the Heat beating the Bucks. I could see the Heat. I don't know if I can see the Heat beating the Nets. Maybe. Um, I'm just really high on the on the on the Miami Heat. No, I think you're absolutely right. That's the team that a lot of you know a lot of the favorites are going to be fearing. And it's crazy because imagine being the one seed in either conference. Like in the Western Conference, your reward could be a first round series with Steph Curry. In the Eastern Conference, your reward for winning the one seed could be a first round series with the Miami Heat. I mean, they've been so up and down here. They haven't been able to get that same level of late season push that we're seeing from um, both Boston and New York. And so, you know, maybe they're just thinking, well, hey, look, you know, uh, this has been a crazy year and a half. We don't necessarily need to gun down the stretch for seeding. Whoever we draw, we draw. And, you know, we're feeling good that we can challenge basically anybody we get. I mean, Milwaukee as well. I mean, that's kind of a, a nightmare scenario for them. Like, they would much rather have teams like New York or Charlotte or Atlanta, um, you know, compared to Miami, right? And so I, I do wonder, do you think we're going to see any seedings like kind of jockeying when we get to the very end of teams maybe trying to avoid Miami? I, I'm not sure it's going to, you know, be possible for those top teams. Or, you know, for Miami, do you think that they're going to try to make a push to get to six to avoid the play-in? Because... You know, even though we're we're hyping them up here a little bit, they have not been very consistent and their offense has not been that good. You get them into a play in scenario where the offense goes flat, I mean that's pretty that's pretty dicey as well. Like where do you think they're gonna finish in the seeding order by the end of the season? Uh, I mean, right now I think they're in seventh behind the Knicks, Celtics and Hawks. Like I don't know. Like I feel like Boston has turned a corner. I feel like the Knicks are really solid just because they bring it on defense and their defense carries even against some of the better teams. Um, and I just like the Hawks. I don't think the Hawks are going to drop too far based on once they, you know once they get a little bit healthier, they'll only be better. But like I, I'm just not that concerned about Miami's offense um, because. Like, you just look at the names out there who are actually taking the shots. And once ever, like, their offense has been bad, sure. Um, but usually, like, if you were to really break it down, like, how is their offense when Dragic, uh, Jimmy, and Bam are on the floor together and Duncan Robinson? Like, those lineups just haven't been able to play. So, assuming that they're healthy, assuming that Tyler Hero does not shoot, you know, below. 32% from the three-point line when he's getting those open shots, like, I don't know. I, I I just don't have a lot of 
great concern with the Miami Heat. And we haven't even said Victor Oladipo's name in part because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But if he's able, able to give them anything, like that's a variable no other really no other team really has in this category. So I, I just I, I really like Miami, man. No, I do too, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that Philly. I mean, they're not loving that matchup because it's a team that has, you know, big physical, versatile defenders that can kind of match up with their players at key positions. You know, I, I think of anybody who MB could go against in the Eastern Conference, Bam is probably the guy you would want to have, right, of basically any possible matchup. And so Philly would love to avoid that. I think Brooklyn would too, just because that could set up a scenario where they have to go through Miami, Milwaukee, and Philly to get to the finals. Like, that sounds about as hard as it could get for Brooklyn. Like, isn't that their their worst-case scenario? Um, you know, from yes. a, from a matchup standpoint and a star power <laughs> standpoint, like I think the the Nets should be viewed as the favorites in the East still. But if they have to go through that, that's a real legitimate gauntlet, especially if you compared it to, like if they were the one seed and they're getting like I don't know Washington and then you know like Atlanta or Boston and then the winner of Philly Milwaukee. I mean, that's a real shift in in difficulty level, right? I think that's something that we should be watching here down the stretch, how these seeding races can impact the potential playoff paths for the favorite, because there's a wide variety in terms of degree of difficulty facing these teams. And, um, you know, even though I don't necessarily foresee a lot of upsets, like in the first round of the Eastern Conference, like I think I'm probably going to wind up predicting mostly Chog. Um, there's going to be an accumulation effect, I think, on, on some of these teams, whoever does draw those landmine teams that we're talking about. So, um, you know, I, I think it's easy to snicker and write off that Eastern Conference play-in group because the records really are not that impressive. I mean, there's a possibility that, you know, three of those four teams are under 500 by the time they get in there. But exactly how it shakes uh, is going to have major implications as we go forward into the postseason. All right, Michael, I want to hear from the Open Floor Globe on that issue as well. Who's the team everyone should circle? Was Michael way too rude about the New York Knicks? Who's the team that everyone is trying to dodge and duck in the Eastern Conference? If you're a fan of one of those top favorites, who do you want to see and who do you not want to see? Let us know. All right, they can email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver, on Twitter at Ben Golver. Be sure to find our page on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you get there, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael will be, will be back later this week, uh, like usual, to dig into all sorts of questions. So keep those coming. Until then, Michael, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.